So remain standing with me, if you will, and we're turning now to God's, God's Word, to the Bible. Uh, those of you who are not uh, uh, regular at Cottage Church, we, we remain standing as we read the Bible just to say how significant we think this moment is. And we're looking this morning at 2 Timothy. Uh, if you brought over from the sanctuary the church Bibles, it's on page 995, and please take them back after you're done. Uh, 2 Timothy and chapter 1. This is the second in our series in 2 Timothy. And uh, the, the title for the series is The Essential Church. And the title for the message this morning is Something Worth Dying For. Something Worth Dying For. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 8. Through to verse 12, which, as I think you'll see, I think is uh, the right place to just finish this section. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is God's word. You can go ahead and sit down. Amen. Amen. Something worth dying for. Now, when you hear that phrase, you may think, well, I'm not sure I want to die or to have, you know. Paul here is talking. He says at the beginning of his passage, he says, you know, uh, Timothy, join with me in suffering. It's like, well, thanks very much. Am I, am I signing up for suffering this morning, you know, something worth dying for? It's actually inspirational what Paul was saying here. And my goal is, you know, I guess only the Lord can do this, and that's why we pray so much for our services. My goal, my goal is to, for this to give us a, not just a vision in terms of the future, but, a, but an inspiration. And that's what Paul is doing for Timothy. But when you hear the phrase, Join with me in suffering doesn't sound in- inspiring, does it? But it is actually something worth dying for. Reminds me a little bit of the story of a um, cowboy who uh, went into town to the saloon. You know, this is going to be a kind of John Wayne cowboy story. You can tell by the word saloon. And as he went into town, this cowboy felt he was pretty good with his, with his guns. You know, he was a dead shot with his guns. So he walked in, he saw some people in the saloon, 
And he said to them, ever danced? And then he started firing at their feet and they started hopping up and down. He was having a great time. Ever danced? A farmer came in to the same saloon. He'd ridden to town in, in, on his donkey after hard days labor in the fields. And the farmer walked into the saloon and the cowboy saw the farmer and looked at him and said, ever danced? And he fired at his feet and the farmer danced. And after the cowboy had, uh, had his fun, the farmer walked back out to his donkey pulled out of the saddle bag a rather large shotgun, walked back into the, into the bar, looked at the cowboy and said, ever kissed a donkey? <laughs> and the cowboy said, no, but I've always wanted to. <laughs> when you hear, join with me in suffering, you may think to yourself, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. Well, what I want to persuade you of this morning is that actually the Apostle Paul was presenting to us something, first to Timothy and then through the inspiration of the Spirit this morning through his word as we read it, he's presenting to us something that is intended to inspire us by giving us something that is worth dying for. And what it does, what Paul does in this passage, he answers in a sense three questions. That is what, why, and then how. What, why, and then how. First, what, verse 8. And there you can see that the thing that Paul says that is worth suffering for is the gospel. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Because that is why as a church we have proclaiming the gospel as our central idea and theme, we're, we're about the gospel. This is something that is worth dying for. Join with me in suffering. Well, thanks, Paul. That doesn't sound great. But it's for the gospel. Now it's something worth dying for. You know, you, you have to make a choice about this because all of us are living for something and dying for something. Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die you know, many people just spend their lives trying to collect more and more toys. You know, the, the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins. I've got news for you. That's not winning. You're still dead. Or, you know, what is it? YOLO? You only, you only live once? <laughs> you only live once. It is given to man to die and then after that to face judgment. YOLO, you only live once. Or it's like the bucket list. I've got to check off the bucket list of things I have to do before I die. No, you don't. What you need is a purpose, an inspiration that you know is something worth giving your life for, worth giving your treasure for, worth giving your time for, worth giving everything that it is that God has put into you for, something worth dying for. Join with me in suffering for the gospel, for the gospel. That, Paul says, is something worth dying for. There's Paul, he's in jail. His suffering in jail 
is a suffering that he knows that is going to lead to his death because he's writing this last letter to, that he wrote, we believe, the last ever letter that he wrote, the last letter he wrote to Timothy, his sort of last will and testament to Timothy. It's the last thing he wrote. And he's saying, look, I know I'm going to die, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. This is something worth dying for. Do you have something worth dying for? Of course, what it means is Paul was saying to Timothy, I want you to speak of this gospel, to bear witness to this gospel. He think, no, I want my toys. I want my comfort. I want to use my time my kind of way. But you don't have something worth dying for. That's why you're drifting. You don't, therefore, have something worth living for because you don't have something that the ultimate test. What is it that is worth dying for? You don't know the answer to that. Paul does. Timothy does. Timothy is needing to be persuaded by Paul that he does. You know, I found out the other day that, Mas, uh, that uh, John F. Kennedy, when he was on his way to that fateful day, when he... Uh, was shot and killed. When he was on his, on his way there, he had prepared a talk to give that same evening. And in that talk, there was a quotation from the famous verse in Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Something worth dying for. Now that means, of course, you speak You speak about Jesus, about the gospel. It's a survey that came out from uh, Lifeway Research that showed that in America today, 78% of non-Christians agreed with the statement, if a Christian shared with me what they believed about Christianity, I would be willing to listen. 78% of your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, the people you work in the gas, you, 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 you see in the gas station, the people you, you, you get your food from the, rest, from the restaurant, your friends, your family, 78% of them are willing to hear you say what you believe about Jesus. You know what the average number of times an American Christian has shared the gospel in the last year? Slightly under once. Do you have something worth dying for? Come on, Timothy. It's time to stand up. You know I, know, I know I'm suffering, and yeah, indeed, the culture may think this is kind of crazy, but don't you know, people need the same thing that we have. In fact, 78% of them are, are willing at least to listen, and, and you've got to step up and stand up and be willing to say, you know, can I tell you how Jesus met me? Can I just tell you about that? 78% of the people you know are willing to listen. Something worth dying for. Well, you say, why? Why is it worth dying for? Well, Paul also explains uh, this from 
verses 9 through to verse uh, 11 in our passage. And it's really, I mean, if you look down there, it's just such a, such a beautiful summary of the gospel. He, he says, you know, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You know, it's God's power that's enable, going to enable us to do that, and we'll see that in a moment when we come to how, but now we're on why. And then that, that launches him when he thinks of the power of God to describe the, the beauty of this, this gospel and therefore why it is worth suffering for, why it is worth why does why is worth giving your life for? Why is something worth dying for? This gospel. And what Paul does here is he describes the gospel along three trajectories, if you like. He sort of interweaves them in this passage, but it's simplest to think of them like this. Past, present, future. So in terms of the past, Paul says, it's not by your works. It's by his purpose and grace. I've preached the gospel, you know, in a number of different countries for, you know, too many years now. I'm getting, you know, I won't tell you how old I am, but I'm glad my hair is not going gray because you can still think I'm young, which is great. (laughs) But what I find over and over again that this simple point, not by your works, but by his purpose and grace needs to be underlined and emphasized over and over again. Let me put it, maybe this is a fresh way for you to hear it if if you're still struggling with this. Human religion, and you can have sort of human Christianized versions of religion, but human religion is spelt D-O, do. You've got to follow this rule. There are so many pillars. There are so many structures. It can be a philosophy. It can, be a, it can even be a kind of an atheistic thing or a non-theistic thing at least. There's, there's a number of different rules, different principles you've got to follow. You've got to do it. D-O. The gospel is spelt D-O-N-E. Done. For he himself bore your sins in his body on the tree that you might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You are healed. D-O-N-E. It is finished. Have you got that? If I asked you afterwards, can you tell me a story about how Jesus met you? Would you have an answer to that? I want you to have an answer to that even this morning. I don't want you to leave this morning without having an answer to that, having encountered Jesus today. It is something that he does, that he has done at the cross when he bore your sins and took the penalty that we all deserved. Past. But then also present. This is why the gospel is worth giving your life for. I mean, wouldn't you give your life for for someone who's done that for you? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's everything, isn't it? That's just everything. But then also there's a present call of the gospel. He's called you to a life of holiness, to be holy, which doesn't mean being narrow-minded or negative or nasty. What it means, the core idea of holiness is being set apart for something special. 
And so God is at work in your life if you're a real Christian by the power of God, not your power, his power, by the power of God to increasingly, gradually set you apart as someone special for him. In other words, you know, we we have all this conversation these days about how do I find healing? Where do I find wholeness, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S, wholeness. Where do I find that integration? Where do I find that wholeness? And what God is doing, he not only saves you by what he's done, but by the power of God, by his spirit, he is increasingly setting you apart as, as holy, which is his game plan for you to increasingly be made whole, W-H. O-L-E. The way to be whole is to become holy. Put off the old way of living, put on the new way of living like a new set of clothes, put on the characteristics of Christ by the power of God in prayer, in discipline. It sometimes is, often is, usually is hard work, but, but his game plan is for you to be holy, to be set aside as something special, whatever age you are, young or old, that you'll be increasingly set aside as someone special for him and for his glory. And don't you want to give your life for that? That you might be whole. Past, present, but then also future. He has abolished death. Amen. At his death and resurrection, he abolished death and has brought immortality and life to light. What that means is because of Jesus' resurrection, if you're a Christian, you can live your life in such a way that you know where you're going after you die. You can have assurance. You can know for sure this morning. You can leave this morning knowing for sure that if you died later this afternoon, you would know where it is that you're going. For he has abolished death and brought immortality and life to light. And isn't that, isn't that worth giving your whole life for, to have that? And if you have that, when you, when you talk about that, when you share that message, when you, when you give your life for that person, when you do anything for that, it's not about, it's not about human effort. If you get this, the power of God, the gospel of God, you'll have a why, always have something to live for. I was uh, walking across a bridge one day and I saw someone standing on the edge of the bridge about to jump off. I said to him, don't do that. He said, why? I said, you've got so much to live for. He said, like what? I said, well, you know, are are you a person of faith or do you have no faith? He said, "I'm I'm a person of faith. I said, good, so am I. 
I said to him, are you a monotheist or a polytheist? He said, I'm a, I'm a monotheist. I said, good, so am I. I said, are you a Christian, a Muslim, or someone of a Judaistic faith? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, good, so am I. I said, are you a Catholic or a Protestant? He said, I'm a Protestant. I said, good, so am I. I said, are you a Protestant evangelical or a Protestant liberal? He said, I'm a Protestant evangelical. He, he, I said, good, so am I. I said, are you a Protestant evangelical Calvinist or a Protestant evangelical? evangelical Arminian. He said, I'm a Protestant evangelical Calvinist. I said, good, so am I. I said, are you a Protestant evangelical Calvinist superlapsarianist or a Protestant evangelical infralapsarianist? He said, I'm a Protestant Calvinist evangelical infralapsarianist. I said, die, heretic scum, and pushed him off the bridge. (laughs) It is not... It is not more human religiosity. I am calling you to join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It is something worth dying for. We say, okay, fine, but how? How do I do that? Well, this Paul explains in verse 12. And I just want you to notice <clears throat> a couple of uh, things here. Uh, and uh, as you look down, you'll notice, I want you to notice the structure of the passage. So what Paul is doing here is he begins by saying, do not be ashamed. And the end, he says, for I am not ashamed. And what he's talking about being ashamed is because he was suffering in prison for the gospel. He was being accused of being a failure. He was suffering. He said, I'm not ashamed because I'm suffering for Jesus. That structure, something worth dying for. I also want you to notice the way the apostle thinks here. So he says here, I'm in prison, but if you look back with me, he says there at the beginning, whose prisoner is he? Is he Caesar's prisoner? Is he Rome's prisoner? He's God's prisoner. And then with that that attitude, I'm not ashamed, I'm God's prisoner, it's part of his plan, I'm doing it for the gospel, I've got something worth dying for. With that attitude, he then introduces this word, God. For I'm convinced that he is able to guard, using the word for a prison guard or related to that word for prison guard. And so there's Paul. He's in jail. Rome has put him there. But actually, he's God's prisoner. He's got guards around him, but actually, it's God who is guarding him. I say, so how, how do I have this confidence, this courage, this power to speak the gospel. God is guarding you. So how does that work? It works in three ways. He says this, I am not ashamed. It's a decision. 
he is saying, I'm not ashamed. It's a form of rhetoric called a litotes. He's saying, I'm not that, and therefore I am maximally this. I'm courageous. I'm brave. He kind of bounces off the word ashamed, saying, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I've got something worth dying for. It's a decision. You've got to make a decision. And I'm going to call you this morning to make a decision for Jesus and make a decision to share Jesus. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. We college church are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. He makes a decision. And then he says, I know whom I have believed. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I know what I've believed. He says, I know whom I have believed. It's a relationship. It's a person. If you've got to make a decision, you've got to nurture your relationship with God, for that's where the power comes from. And that means, that, you know, personal Bible reading, uh, prayer, devotions. You're not sure how to do that. I write a, a daily devotional that will be carrying on over the summer. You can sign up for that and get that straight into your inbox. You've got to nurture that relationship with God. Make a decision, nurture the, the relationship, and then finally says, for I am convinced that He is able to guard that which I've entrusted to Him against that day. In other words, what He's saying is, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. But because actually God is my God, I am convinced that God is able to guard me even through the floodwaters of death that I would stand with him in glory for all eternity. And I'm convinced of that. So you've got to make a decision. You've got to nurture a relationship. And then you've got to develop a big God theology. Who's, whose prisoner is he? God's. Who's ensuring that he stays in jail? God is guarding him. He's got a big God theology. It's, it's God's omniscience, omnipresence, his transcendent power at work imminently in this moment as he is in jail in the moment when you're facing cancer, when you're facing difficulties with your family, when you're frustrated at work, that, that God is at work in that, in that situation, that he is guarding you through all of that. And that big God theology is the crucial piece you need to be able to stand up and go up to the person at the restaurant when you have lunch this, this, this afternoon and comes and you're about to pray before you eat and say, you know, um, I, was, I was listening to this sermon this morning. I just, I just want to wonder if I could pray for you. You know, I'm a Christian. Is there anything you like praying for? And just take that initiative with that, that person that you work with and say, you know, can we grab lunch sometime? And just going out to lunch, you say, look, we, we've been working together for years, but, you know, I've never really told you. One of the most, the most important thing in my life, can I tell you about that? Well, yeah, sure. You know, the most important thing in my life is, is actually Jesus. Do you mind if I just spent two minutes letting you know about that? Yeah, okay, fine. 
a big God theology. God is guarding you. He's guarding your career. He's guarding your life. He's guarding your family. It is a big God theology. And it is this big God theology that enabled Abraham to leave as he was told to go to a country he knew not where because he knew that God did and he could trust God. It is this big God theology that enabled Moses to turn aside from all the pleasures of sin in Egypt for a season in order to trust God, to be able to rescue God's people from Egypt. It's this big God theology that enabled David to not take revenge on Saul when he had the chance because he he knew that God was guarding him and he knew that if he's God's king, God would put him there in his own time, in his own purpose, in his own good wisdom. And it is this big God theology that enabled Paul to even be in prison with all these people who turned against him and were denying Christ and were wrecking the ministry that he had brought. But it's this big God theology that enabled Paul to write to Timothy and say, I I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him against this day. And it is that big God theology that Timothy needed and that you need. God is not like, he's, every, every word we say, every thought we think, every movement of our body, every moment in your own personal history and time is under his plan as you realize the, the sheer massive scale of God so that you're his prisoner and he is guarding you. Therefore you can say, you know, I'm convinced. I mean, God is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him. This, this, this life that I've given to him, this, this trust that he has given me, he can take care of that. It's all his and therefore I can stand up for him with freedom and liberty and, and share Jesus, the Jesus that, that this world, this country is so desperately in need of hearing about. You know, think about it this way. I was told the other day that if you wanted to get to Congress, which... I have absolutely no ambition ever to do in my life. But if you did, all you would need is 300 people fully committed to get you there and working night and day to achieve that. Just think. Just think of the impact that the gospel of God could have through us in Wheaton, Chicago land, around the world, if, I don't know, 30% of us, 50% of us were sharing the gospel, speaking the gospel once a week, once a month. Because we have something worth dying for. What? The gospel? Why? Past? It's, 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 not a, it's not a religion. It's something that he's done, not something you do. Present, he's setting you aside for, to be a special, the special set aside purpose that he has for you, to be holy, to be increasingly like Christ. This future, he, he's brought light and immortality to life, so even death is no longer something you need to be scared about because you know where you're going. How? Well, you make a decision. You've got to commit. I'm not ashamed. And, and then you've got to nurture the relationship, the, the, the ongoing daily power that you need for him through relationship. And, and then you've got to develop this big God theology that he, he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him against that day. I'm going to leave you with this. I know it's the one service, so I have freedom to go a bit longer, but I'm not going to do so. 
It reminds me of the story of the person who had been asked to speak for 20 minutes and was still going after 30 minutes, after 40 minutes, after 50 minutes. He was still going after an hour and 10 minutes. And the person in the back of the room picked up a gavel, one of those things you hit on the table to get silence, picked up the gavel and threw it at the speaker. He missed. And he hit a woman on the front row instead. And the woman on the front row said, hit me again, I can still hear him. The next time you hear a sermon going too long, you can think of that. I want to leave you with this. William Peter was a preaching monk who had the opportunity to preach in front of Henry VIII personally to his face. Henry VIII, of course, notorious for you know, a lot of things that he did which were not great, as well as some things that God used him to do which were good. William Peter stood in front of him and confronted him to his face about the things that he was doing. He was so bold, he even likened Henry VIII to King Ahab, one of the worst kings in the Old Testament. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I don't think you're going to be called to do that. But maybe you are called to share the gospel with your husband or your wife. Maybe you will have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone you're working with. Maybe you will have the opportunity this afternoon when you go in to pay for the gas into, into the, the gas station just to say, you know, I, I, we were on church this Sunday and we were talking about something worth dying for. I just want to tell you, I've got found that. I found, I found purpose. I found the whole meaning of life. I just want to tell you that. And there are these points of light of gospel witness all over Wheaton and around Chicago because we have something worth dying for. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. At the end of this prayer, I'm going to ask you uh, to stand. So let's, do, let's do that now. Let's stand together now as we pray. And if you're now in a safe place, you don't feel you're going to overbalance or something, if you just shut your eyes and we can pray together. Perhaps you're someone here who's never, who doesn't, when I ask that question, do you have an answer to the question of when Jesus met you? You don't have a good answer to that. Would you now say to God, Lord, please forgive me. Please save me. And if you pray that prayer, please, would you make sure you don't leave today without talking to someone, one of the pastors or one of the welcome team or ushers or something? But most of us here do know you, Lord, and yet we are too often silent about you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us inspiration that we have something worth dying for. If you are feeling convicted that you need to talk about Jesus more, in the silence, would you pray this? 
Lord God, open my lips that I may declare your praise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.